In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, so tonight we have... Is this on? Oh, come on now. There we go. So tonight we've got uh, George. And George, what are you speaking about? Remind us all. Uh, the history of the church. The history of the church. All in 45 minutes? No, no we're not going to take all of it. We're just going to take up to... Um, hi, Joe. Um, up to the first century. Perfect. Sorry, up, up to the first... 300 years. <laughs> no, I'm going to keep this uh, a very high-level summary of um, church history. So, just a, a quick introduction. So, church history is sounds like a very boring subject, but when you study it, you actually find that you learn a lot from it. Um, you learn that um, God is really in control. And you notice things that um, we teach a lot, like God has the perfect timing, and God is all-powerful. But you really see it in the, in the history of the church, is that really it's a miracle that the church still is here today. Um, just from a, a historical uh, outlook, the church didn't start off on a good start. It had a few years of peace. And then it was always in tribulant time, and especially the Coptic Church or the Church of Alexandria. Now, in um, in researching this this topic, um, the resources are very scarce in English. There is a lot in Arabic, um, but obviously the Arabic resources not only are they for some of us very hard to read, but um, they tend to be a little bit biased. So you always See, want to find a source that has, um, you know, a balanced view because history can be interpreted differently, obviously. Um, so, what we're going to cover today in church history is just the origins of the church and uh, martyrdom in the first few centuries. Okay, but first I want to show you um, a few maps. So this is the map of the world. Um, sorry. So on the map, uh, this is the year 2020, and this is the map of the world, which shows so many different countries. Currently, if you take a look in, in, the, in the Mediterranean Sea and the surrounding countries, you're going to find that there's so many countries. But if you go a little bit back in time, we're going to go a lot. So we're going to go all the way to 100, before, 100 years before Christ. You find that the map is a lot simpler. You'll see that the red represents the, um, you know, the, the expanding Roman Empire, and you'll see multiple countries or multiple locations. And then if you go a little bit in the front, like about 500 after Christ, you see that the map is still very diverse. But then if you go to 30 AD, which was the year of the birth of our Lord, you'll find that the Roman Empire pretty much has the entire area under control, almost the entire area. And then after Christ died and he preached and then Christianity started in the church of Jerusalem, and then at 70 AD when the destruction of the temple came along, there was a separation between, like a clear-cut separation between uh, Judaism and Christianity. And then Christianity started to spread throughout the world around 80, 90 to 100 AD. 
So how did the map of the world look like at that time? In 117 AD, this is what the map of the world looked like at that time, which was pretty much the Roman Empire had control over the entire area. Why is this significant? It's significant because for two reasons. The first reason is when there are no borders, it makes it very easy to travel. And when it's, when it's a one country that holds the entire space, it makes it easier to um, communicate. It makes things easier, like I said, to travel. It just makes your life easier. If the country is very big, you can travel from here to there. You can see it right now in the, in the pandemic. It's very easy to go, let's say, from here to Alberta or Vancouver. It's very difficult to fly overseas. Um, so this is what Egypt looked like at the time. There was, you can see Alexandria and you can see Memphis, which is something you might have heard before. Uh, Memphis is now the new Cairo. That's the old name for the time for the pharaohs. That's right. So um, from the pharaohs till um, the Islamic takeover of Egypt, which was around the fifth century, it was known as Memphis. So there's an interesting prophecy. Sorry, I wanted to show you this um, interesting chart. So this chart shows how many people in the world speak the English language. And there's 1.5 billion people that are speaking the English language and are learning it continuously. So the English language is considered around the world as the universal language. Even though some people speak it and some don't speak it very well, but it's considered the universal language. If you compare the amount of people that speak English compared to the amount of people that speak, let's say, Mandarin, you'll find that the people that speak Mandarin are a lot more than the, spe than the people that speak English. However, because English is a universal language, it's considered more important for you to know how to speak English than, let's say, Mandarin. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. So English in the old world is equivalent to which language? Does anyone know? Latin was a little bit in the West, but the official language is Coptic? Greek. Okay. Greek. So Greek was the official language um, back then, and it wasn't only the official language, but as you can see, it was one big country. Okay. So there's this prophecy in Isaiah 19, verse uh, chapter 19, verse 19. It says, "In that day there will be an altar." Um, to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its borders. And this prophecy is very significant. Can anyone think about why this prophecy is significant? Is that talking about Christ? Yeah, it is talking about Christ. But why is why do we hold this verse in very high regard? Because Christ went to Egypt as a refugee? Um, no. So... Exactly. Right on. So, um, sorry, what's your name? Alex. Alex. Okay, excellent explanation. So Alex said that um, there was only one altar allowed, and that was the altar in Jerusalem. So for this verse to exist, that means that this prophecy is saying that there will be an altar in Egypt, which is going to be acceptable to the Lord. And this is a direct prophecy about 
the altar in Egypt or the church of Egypt. Okay. Here's a cool fact. Did you know that Theophilus was an Alexandrian Jew? Who knows who Theophilus is? I think it was for the gods. Uh, no, Theophilus was a person, and he is the recipient of um, St. Luke's, exactly, St. Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts. So St. Luke was writing to this Theophilus who was actually an Alexandrian Jew. So in, in Egypt, you'll see that throughout history, we are very religious people and we really love our faith. Um, and this is part of why we survived till now, because we have a really strong attachment to God and um, we, you know, hang tight, we, we, we stick to him. Okay, the patriarchs. I know this, this is not how a Coptic Pope looks, but this one looked cuter, so I chose him. Um, this is a list of our patriarchs um, in the centuries that I want to cover. The first one's St. Mark. So yes, the first one is St. Mark, and then another important patriarch was uh, Pope Justice and uh, Pope Demetrius, and then the last one on that list is uh, Pope Alexandros, who after him came Pope Athanasius the Apostolic. These are the main patriarchs that you know that had a huge impact on the church. That's right. So he's he comes later on, um, but we're gonna focus on these patriarchs right now. So the the first one is Saint Mark. So just high level understanding of who Saint Mark is. He was born of righteous and wealthy Jewish parents in Cyrene, which was one of the five cities or Pentapolis in North Africa. And when they suffered a loss of their possessions, they migrated to Jerusalem, where Saint Mark was brought up. Um, and St. Mark was considered one of the wealthier uh, uh, apostles because he was able to live in Jerusalem. It's, it was very hard at that time for you to live in Jerusalem because that's where, um, I guess, that the powerhouse of um, Judea was. Okay, so the Lord Jesus, as you know, he chose St. Mark as one of the 70 apostles and his house for the Last Supper to emphasize his role as an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus, the church gave him the title of Beholder of God. Because later on, in later centuries, um, people started saying that, no, St. Mark actually never witnessed Christ, that he took all his information from St. Peter. And this is important when you're reading history, that sometimes they... Yeah, so when you're reading, you have to take whatever is said and see what someone else is saying. So we know from uh, first century Saint Eusebius, not Saint, Eusebius the historian, said that Saint Mark was with uh, Christ. And that's why our church gave, gave him the title of Beholder of God, to sort of dispel away that just because Saint Mark was a disciple of Saint Peter does not mean that he did not see Christ. Why, why do people think that Saint, that Saint Mark got his information from Saint Peter? Um, because it's this is more of a, like a biblical research, but it's almost pretty much widely accepted that it, that was the fact. And the same historian that we believe um, that you know we rely on the information that he said that Saint Mark was um, was with Jesus. He is the same historian that said that Saint Mark was the disciple of Saint Peter. Okay. It, 
It doesn't take away anything, though, from our faith or uh, what we teach. My, my question is, why, why do people believe that St. Mark Well, it doesn't, like, it, they're not mutually exclusive. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. It's not one or the no, other. It can no, be both. No, no. I'm just curious. It seems a little bit confusing. <laughs> okay. So the same house that the meeting place of the apostles was um, was St. Mark's house, and this is where the Holy Spirit descended on them. Okay? As you know, St. Mark accompanied St. Paul and St. Barnabas on, their first, on St. Paul's first missionary journey. Um, but left them and returned to Judea. On the second journey, he went to Barnabas to Cyprus. Because they had a, a falling out problem. Yeah, they had a, they had a, a disagreement of opinion. And then he went to Pentapolis. And this was his birthplace. And this is very close to North Africa. And then he went to Egypt. When he entered Alexandria, it was 61 AD. And then um, at that time, Alexandria was a very, uh, it was the, the center of culture and home for many philosophers and obviously the famous library of Alexandria. Yes. Um, and he ordained a bishop um, who met him when he walked in, who was uh, Saint Ananias. And with him, he ordained 12 priests and seven deacons, and he left. He left Egypt. Then he went to Rome, where he joined Saint Paul in his ministry and you can find that in Colossians chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 4 and um, the epistle to Philemon chapter 1. When he returned he found that Christians in Egypt had built a church and um, increased significantly in number and he continued to serve until 68 AD. The Easter Eve of 68 AD it was the same night that there was a huge pagan celebration. And they said that to offer to the pagan gods, we're gonna actually um, go and, you know, arrest St. Mark. And they dragged him around the city, as you all know, until he passed away. That's right. Right on. Um, okay, so St. Mark's major achievements are, are known. So he was writer. He was the, the writer of one of the four gospels. He's the founder of the Church of Egypt, which is our church, the Coptic Orthodox Church. That's right. And he helped St. Paul in his missionary work in Europe. Um, St. Mark's successor, going forward, they were all titled as Papa, or Pope, which means Father. And the, the title for the Patriarch of Egypt became um, Pope and Patriarch of the great city of Alexandria, all of Egypt, Nubia, Pentapolis, and we added recently the land of immigration. So this is the history of St. Mark. The next major Pope that we can quickly look over is uh, Pope Justice. So Pope Justice, um, he was the first dean of the School of Alexandria. And the School of Alexandria um, was founded again by St. Mark of the Apostle, but it was it didn't take shape until really Pope Justice. And he, uh, the School of Alexandria was filled with scholars. And it was not only in religious studies, it was in philosophical studies. Some of the great, greatest saints of the church, the universal church, whether in Egypt or across the world, were from the School of Alexandria. Some of the names that you might have heard of are Clement of Alexandria, Origen, 
St. Peter, the seal of martyrs, St. Athanasius, the apostolic, and St. Didymus, the blind. And the scope of the school was not limited, like I said, to theological subjects. Some other subjects that they were used to teach were science, mathematics, Greek and Roman literature, logic and arts were also taught. Okay. Something also cool happened in that school was 15 centuries before uh, Braille was in invented. Um, that's right, blind students at the school were using wood carving techniques to read and write. So really, the school of Alexandria was ahead of its time at, at, the, at, at that point in history. Um, other achievements of the school, it was that school of Alexandria that established the Coptic script. So the Coptic language was the language of the common people, where the Greek was the language of um, you know, the, the country. So what the school of Alexandria did, they, 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 they developed the Coptic script and they used the Greek alphabet and they added uh, six or seven signs from the Demotic script which was used to write the ancient Egyptian language, which, which came down exactly from hieroglyphics. And they translated the Bible into Coptic. And um, Saint uh, Pentheus, the philosopher, he's the one that really spearheaded that um, achievement. And whenever we mention the school of Alexandria, we have to mention a very controversial character of Coles, of course, and that is Origen. Okay, so Origen, just a background, we're not going to discuss him at, at length because, um, yeah, it will take a long time. And I mean, Pope Shenouda once was asked about him, and he's like, if the universal church could not agree on him, what am I to, to say about him? But historical stuff about him. He was actually born of Christian parents, and his father was martyred while he was young. And despite his young age and the burden of his family, he had because he had six younger brothers and a mother, um, he was encouraging his father, saying, "Change not your resolution because of us." He was encouraging his father to uh, be martyred. He became the dean of the school of Alexandria at the age of 18. He supported the martyrs and the confessors throughout the persecution, and he endangered his life many times. Cool story. He wanted to get martyred so bad, he was running out of the house to meet the governor. His mother, to prevent him, hid all his clothes. That way he can't leave the house. Um, so he was very, very loving for the scripture and for you know, the, life, the life of the church. He organized um, a lot of things in the school of Alexandria and he wrote um, his famous um, Hexla, which is the Bible side by side in six different languages. And he interpreted the scripture in an allegorical sense and a spiritual sense. And his writings aimed at showing that one God is a loving and uh, beneficent creator and two people are free creatures. He went to Palestine to teach where he spent the rest of his life in preaching. Um, and again, there was some disagreements about his writings and about his actions, and there were a lot of people that were back and forth on him. Um, so he was, he was excommunicated by Pope Demetrius, but he had supporters within the Coptic Church, like Pope Heraclius and uh, Pope uh, Didianus, and St. John Chrysostom also was a fan of him. 
Okay, but like I said, we don't really understand the full picture of origin, so we're we're just gonna leave it at that. I'm just giving you some historical background about it. I guess the controversy, because we don't, because we weren't there, we don't understand the controversy in the context. Right, exactly. The next pope is. Um, Yes. The Bible. So he had something called the Hexapla, which had um, six languages beside each other: Latin, Greek, Coptic, three other languages. Um, so it was almost like a reference Bible, which was a major, a major achievement at the time. To my knowledge, no, no. The the main thing that exists that. Uh, unfortunately, is the most controversial of his works, which is um, uh, on the origin of things. Um, but there was, yeah. So there was there was a lot of his writings, but not a lot of them, unfortunately, survived to this day. This, the uh, origin, origin. His main issues were the universal salvation. Um, he accepted priesthood outside of his own diocese. It, it was, it was more of a because we still like even in Arabic they call him an alama or against. So he's not totally excommunicated. Like, like don't read him at all. There's certain things that he fell out of, but it was definitely not Arianism because that's what you're describing. Arianism was totally, like he was very anti-Arianism. I'm gonna move on from Origin because he's obviously a topic of controversy and uh, there's a lot of people that like him and a lot of people that hate him. Yeah, exactly. The next Pope who, his feast was actually today, was uh, Saint Demetrius, right? Who was the vine dresser. So if you read the Cynic Sharem today, it's a very nice story. Um, Saint Demetrius, he was selected by a, by a vision um, to become the 12th Pope and uh, while he was married, okay? And later on, it was revealed by a miracle that he lived in celibacy like a monk all the time. What's interesting about this Pope was he had little or no education, okay? When he became Pope, he sought to learn so much and he spent a lot of time learning and learning and learning. And he did something so amazing that we still use it to this day. And that is he devised the way to calculate Easter. And in 325 AD, it was used by all the churches in the world. So it was... Is that our calendar? Calculated? I'm not sure. But he did calculate the Easter date. That's for sure. That one I know for sure. And it was from that point until 1582 that the Easter date was determined by the Church of Alexandria. So the Church of Alexandria used to write to all the churches saying, this is the Easter date. Prepare accordingly. You know what I mean? Um, And it was until 1582 when Pope Gregory, who invented the Gregorian calendar, Pope Gregory the 13th of Rome, he introduced the Gregorian calendar. Now, 
Rattray. And um, from there, there was um, another um, deviation from what the agreed on Easter date, but all the Eastern Orthodox churches still use the same formula for Easter, which is why our Easter always aligns with all Orthodox churches, but it doesn't align with um, the Church of the West, which is the Church of Rome. St. Demetrius was exiled under the persecution of Emperor Severus, and he returned to his throne after the persecution ceased. And he never stopped teaching himself, and he never stopped teaching, and he continued learning until the year, um, until he passed away at, a, at 105. So now we're, we're getting closer and closer. At this time, between 70 AD until about 105 or 110, the persecution of the church started to increase significantly within the Roman Empire. Right, and that's because at 70 AD, as you all know, was the destruction of the Jewish temple, and the Jews were exempt from um, what they called the cult of the emperor. So they were not uh, expected to offer sacrifices to idols or anything like that. Once the Jews made it clear that Christians are not of the same faith as the Jewish um, religion, the Roman Empire were like, okay, so you guys have to submit to the cult of the emperor. That means you have to offer sacrifices, and that's why uh, and that's why persecution really picks up afterwards. It doesn't really pick up between, you know, in in the first centuries we don't hear about emperors seeking Christians. The reason they were seeking us to kill us was because of the clear. They understood finally that uh, the Jewish faith and the Christian faith are are not the same. So, who were, what is, does anyone know what the difference is between a martyr and a confessor? Yes. Yeah, yeah what's the difference? Martyrs, they, they die, confessors would live. Right, so the martyrs are the ones that, you know, gave up their life for the sake of Christ. A confessor was willing to go all the way, but they survived. Um, so a confessor is someone that suffered persecution and torture, but they were not killed. There were multiple rounds of um, emperors that really uh, sought out to kill uh, Christians. Where what I did here was I put I don't know if you can see it, but I'll go. Yeah, I will explain it. So every emperor has almost like a, a famous a famous martyr or a famous confessor. So Nero, Emperor Nero, we all hear of him. Correct. So he's the one that's responsible for the martyrdom of St. Peter and St. Paul. Uh, Domitian, he was the one that exiled St. John the Evangelist. Uh, Trajan, who was, he's the one that threw St. Ignatius of Antioch to lions. Marcus Aurelius, who, if you read his writings, he's a philosopher. He's a great philosopher, almost a Christian, but he definitely wasn't. He was a great. Uh, um, he was a very evil emperor, and he's the one responsible for the martyrdom of uh, uh, Saint Philopatir. And Saint, um, sorry, he's the he's the one responsible for the martyrdom of Saint Justin, who was the first apologetic uh, scholar in the Christian faith. You said Philopatir. Is that the one with the two swords? No, that's coming up. Okay, because you mentioned 
I know. I um, that was a, a mistake because I had written here philosopher and I just read it wrong. <laughs> um, Saint, uh, sorry, um, Decius, who is next on my list, he's the one that's responsible for the martyrdom of Saint Philopatia Marcorius, who we all know about. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, next was Saint Valerian, um, and then the most notorious uh, governor was, um, sorry, Emperor Di Diocletian. Under him were a lot of the martyrs that we know about: Saint George, Saint Damiana, uh, the the Theban liege who you might know as Saint Maurice, uh, Saint Mina was under Diocletian. Um, the the five famous uh, martyrs who were Guzman and Damian and their mother. Um, and lastly, it was uh, Saint Peter, the seal of the martyrs. He was under Diocletian. After this period of time, so this is, was almost the origin and the, um, the martyrdom age of the church. After this comes the, the famous King Constantine and the councils. We're not going to get into them, but this pe uh, period of time between, uh, you know, 70 AD, I would say, to 305, the church expanded uh, almost miraculously all over the Roman Empire. And at this, um, in these few years, few, you know, hundred years, the church, like I said, expanded and gave us a lot of the martyrs that we know about and that we hold in high regard um, until this day. That's pretty much just a high overview of just the first few centuries of the church. Does anyone have any questions? Excellent. Okay. Thank you for having me and uh, thank you. It's, it's, uh, 
embedded until today. So actually, this is a good hopeful message. Nothing is impossible. Like I cannot say, well, he started more learning when he became a pope. It's the most busiest uh, vocation, in my opinion, in the world. But but he learned, uh, but, but he educated himself, and he invented this uh, calculation. So nothing is uh, impossible, definitely. And, and and this is, you know what, this is calculations. Uh, it, 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 it involves some spiritual concepts, but it is purely love ca uh, calculation, which is showing us, well, this is, there is, there is a talent, like using my talent as a Christian person, this is a this is this is kind of a spiritual thing. It's not because I'm good at math, then I'm not a spiritual person. I have to employ my talent in different areas. So thank you very much, George. I'm sure there were a lot of things that probably maybe we uh, each one of us caught uh, your attention. So hopefully that this is something that was a good learned lesson for all of us. Again, thank you.